This is the Instant Speed Podcast, episode number 58. 58 times that we have had such good times together. Our guest today is none other than Brendan Patrick, a wonderful, awesome human being whom I got the pleasure to work with uh, at Worlds. But before that, I want to remind you that this episode of ISP is always brought to you by Kayfabe Cards, where fantasy and reality meet. Yes, Kayfabe Cards is the place to go for all of your flesh and blood singles shipped directly to your door. But it's not just that, friends. You like magic? You like Pokemon? You like card games in general? Go support Job at Kayfabe Cards. Great people there running the place, awesome human beings, and support your LGSs who support the community. And Kayfabe Cards does just that. Get all the tools you need to navigate the world of Wraith shipped right to your door at www. Dot K-A-Y-F-A-B-E-C-A-R-D-S dot com. Kayfabe cards. Be who you want to be. And you know who I want to be? I want to be the guy wearing this wicked cool toque or beanie, as it's uh, mentioned by some. Ultimately, friends, this bad boy here was uh, given to me by Jeffo. And I want to say thank you so much because it is getting cold out there. It is getting cold out there, and look how frumpy I look. But damn it, if the hat just n does not rescue this uh, look right here. So thank you, Jeff, for this wicked cool toque uh, with the ISP logo and all the beautiful stuff on it as well. As we see right on this side, right here, Shoop is wearing my Kayfabe Cards hat. Legend in the corner there. But thank you so much. Let's get to the facts, friends. Rose Smith wins the Philadelphia Battle Hardened on Dash. Dash making a resurgence again. This is one of the first snapshots of what post-dynasty meta will look like as things start to settle. Dash is the uh, you know the first re resurgent hero to uh, lay claim on dynasty meta, winning Battle Hardened. Uh, further than that, hey, Brody Spurlock winning the PTI tournament. Uh, that ran on the Sunday, I believe, in uh, Philadelphia. Brody Spurlock is ridiculous. Uh, we don't need to talk to you about Brody Spurlock, but the kid just got it. Uh, you know, kid amazing, kid wonderful, kid spectacular, just crushing it and collecting PTIs like they're Pokemon. Way to go, Brody! As well as I uh, want to let everyone know that, hey, you know, might be kind of a little tongue-in-cheek, but for all of you UK Nats people who are little discombobulated with the shuffle of the scheduling for Nats and such. Well, uh, LSS has shipped you out a Regicide promo, which is a very coveted piece, apparently. These bad boys going for over a hundo. Nonetheless, uh, sorry about the queen passing and such. Here's a Regicide promo. Not bad. Not bad. All right, friends. Uh, don't forget, as always... There is a Patreon here for Instant Speed, and we love to uh, get your support and such. Thank you so much to our patrons, as always. And uh, yeah, we've got Brendan Patrick on the show today. We talk about Worlds, his experience as part of the testing squad for some of the players, and the transition into the casting booth and the challenges that that poses. Are you retired, Brendan Patrick? All this and more, and your questions answered here on ISP. Instant Speed Podcast welcomes uh, again the the better half, I'll say, just to throw a dig at Hayden, who is, you know, throwing digs at me in uh, San Jose. It's Brendan Patrick of Arsenal Pass, but more so, Brendan Patrick, my my casting colleague. How are you, my friend? 
Very good. How are you, Flake? I'm good, dude. I'm good. It's uh, it's getting cold here. You're in Texas, which is a whole different story. But like, I came back. I thought California was uh, unseasonably cold, but I got back to Toronto, and the past couple of days, like it snowed yesterday. And I know that it's Canada, and I know that it's like the middle of November, but you know we've been sort of riding that global warming train to the point where we don't see snow typically till like mid to late December, and here it is. It came yesterday. It's cold here as well, actually. <clears throat> it's colder than it was in, in California. Um, so it's pretty much just like freezing rain every day. I don't know if you guys use Fahrenheit or Celsius over there in Canada land. but No, we uh, use the correct one. We use Celsius. Okay. So you use Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, so it's about 38 degrees Fahrenheit and raining every day. So just freezing cold rain. Um, so yeah, bad weather over here in Texas as well. That's disgusting. That is terrible. Like a freezing rain is the worst. I, like it when it's right in the middle and it's coming down and it freezes or it's just nasty, like screw that nonsense. Like give me actual snowfall or give me rain. Don't give me this nut in the middle garbage. Not happy. It's, it's mid range. It's mid range precipitation. And I'm not about that. It's so weird. This is like such a, such a tangent, but as an adult, so when I was a kid, I, and most of my life, to be honest, the weather, sunny, rainy, snowy, warm, cold, didn't matter to me. But now when it rains and it's cold, dude, I feel like crap. Like, yeah. I hate it so much. Like, I just like, I yearn for the sun to come back out. For some reason, there's just something like ticked later in life. And now I just cannot stand this cloudy, muggy, cold weather. It's age and responsibility. Because prior to this, it was like, well, it's raining or it's snowing. or I don't have to do anything anyways. So what the hell do I care? Now it's a matter of like, if I have to go get groceries and it's raining, I'm like, mother, like, why? <laughs> like, everything just falls apart. It's, but that's what it is. Brandon, how old are you? You're in your 20s? Uh... Wow, that's actually a good question. I have to think about that. <laughs> I thought that this was a freebie. <laughs> no, uh, I'm 28. I think I turned 28 uh, last October. Okay. Pretty sure I'm 28, not 27. Hard-hitting journalism here at the Instant Speed <laughs> yeah. Podcast, asking the tough questions of how old. Like These are the questions that you might ask like a, a South American baseball player who forged documents to play <laughs> like a year <laughs> early or something like that. But no, uh, yeah, it'll get there, dude. Like I'm... I, I don't even know. Can I consider myself? At what point do I go from mid-30s to late-30s? Like, is it 37 that I'm late-30s? I would say quantitatively, it's definitely 35, right? Like, when you get past the half of 35, you are now in your late-30s. But I not... can't say mid anymore? Like, can I not just not say mid-30s? Uh, I guess if mid is a thing. I mean, when are you mid? It's probably a small period of time. I have no idea. It's more, I think it's how you say it, right? If you say it correctly and you pull it off and you have the confidence, then... You know, you're in your mid-30s. Thank you. Even your, it's, even your young 30s. You know who says mid-30s? People who are in their mid-30s and don't want to say late-30s. Mm, <laughs> That's yeah, where I'm at. All right. Uh, so Worlds is now well in the rearview mirror. Everybody's kind of digging into Dynasty and creating all kinds of havoc and stuff and brewing new things. Uh, Battle Hardened wrapped up in Philadelphia, which uh, is what it is. But the more important thing here is world championships. And um, just, you know, I, I heard you uh, talking about it on Arsenal Pass with Hayden, and I don't want to get too deep into it. But ultimately, what was your overall experience of Worlds? There were certainly hiccups. Uh, you know, I spoke to Brian Gottlieb last week about this. And I mean, it, to ignore things like, you know, the venue wasn't the hottest shit out there. But uh, ultimately, what was your experience of world, uh, the World Championships? So I feel like I have to actually really try to find like a problem or bad things about the world championship because it was such an overwhelmingly positive experience for me. Um, but 
I think if I was to take an unbiased look at it and try to pick out a few bad things, yeah, the venue was maybe not the greatest. But at the same time, when I saw the videos of the five processions and things, they looked amazing in that venue. Um, California was an interesting choice. I think that the area of San Jose we, we were in was <clears throat> unnecessarily dangerous, as we saw by multiple people getting robbed and oh, mugged. And man. that's really unfortunate. And I'm pretty disappointed, like, as being from, you know, kind of from California and <clears throat> just from America in general, that was sort of what we showed to the world. So that, that made me a bit sad. Um, but other than that, it was just, it was one of the best weekends of my life. Like it, it was incredible. Um, I think that the, the first world championship lived up to what it should have been in terms of hype, um, in terms of gameplay production. Like I thought it was, and I thought they, they hit it out of the park, to be honest. Yeah. They're, they're like, this is what a lot of people don't realize is that I forgot who it was. There was somebody from LSS that they they hit like the America hat trick, which was um, within 24 hours of arriving, they were robbed, uh, mugged at like they had their stuff stolen. They had they were mugged at at knife point, and they witnessed the stabbing. I think that was who was that? It was that is the developer um, Jacob Pearson, right? And he is a magnet for chaos. So he's definitely an outlier. But I mean, we were casting Viet Fom's top eight game and. I swear to God, what he wrote on his paper, his top eight paper, was the most innocent thing I've ever read about an experience of getting mugged and how appreciative he was to make it in the top eight. Or not getting mugged, sorry, getting robbed. He was car broken into. And I was just like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Separate events also. Like, that was a separate robbery. Um, oh, there was another There was another person too. Um, I think uh, we someone in the arsenal pass patreon reached reached out and told us like yeah they also had their stuff their car broken into and all their stuff stolen so like the, 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 the one thing about that is like you think about these people who are robbing it not knowing what they're taking you take a backpack out of the uh, and like they open up all these cards and they're like what the hell is this and then you don't they don't know necessarily what the value is or, or whatnot and who knows what they do with it and uh f those people uh all the way up and down the road but ultimately the Viet Pham's story is one of the highlights that I think went under the radar, I know that we mentioned it, it was mentioned on the broadcast and it was, you know, echoed here and there. But for those who don't know, Viet Pham, who was the number one seed after two days of, of gameplay, had all of his cars robbed out of out of this car, I think a day or two prior to the event and scrambled to build a deck from, you know, a box of scraps in a cave uh, and ultimately finish with a, a, a number one seed record. That in itself is obscenely um, just a, a strong story of resilience and and you know com community coming together to just give him the cards he needed to play. Hundred <laughs> percent. And um, to add on to that story, uh, number one seed, great performance. Maybe gets a soft match first round. Who's the A seed? Michael Hamilton. Very unfortunate draw. <laughs> I remember we talked about it so much, but it was just brutal for Michael Hamilton to sneak into eight and for that to be Viet's first match. But, you know, if you're getting in the top eight, you are looking to win the tournament, so you're going to need to face those players at some point in the bracket, likely. Um, but, yeah, Viet Pham, number one Swiss seed of the world. It, it, it's a huge accomplishment, and um, congratulations to him. Yeah, that's a dangerous one to sort of open the door to. Like, you get there, you're the, it's the greatest story, and you're like, all right, I got to go ahead and just erase some eighth seed scrub to just move forward and continue the Cinderella story. And ultimately it's Michael freaking Hamilton who himself should be retired and earn his own living legend points. Again, like this guy is obscene. Is the debate effectively just buried and, and just kind of paved over at this point? Is he the best in the world? 
So I think currently he is the best in the world, right? Can we have can we revisit the conversation in the future? Yeah, probably. But Michael Hamilton is overwhelmingly the best player in the world at this point, I think. Um, not only because of the consistency of his performances, the sort of tournaments that he's performing at. You know, he did have a bit of a middling Pro Tour one and Pro Tour two. Still did very well, but wasn't top eighting. But I think if you put that in context with how he performed at callings, uh, uh, regional tournaments, and things like that, Michael Hamilton might be the most consistent player in the world. And to top it off with a World Championships wins and a very convincing World Championship win, even though he squeaked in at the eighth seed, I feel like commentating those games as he went through his top eight, um, it was very convincing that he deserved to win that tournament. But yeah, I think Michael Hamilton right now is the best player in the world, is the GOAT of flesh and blood. But... It's an evolving game. It's a young game. So we will definitely be re- revisiting that conversation at some point. There's like a very charming photo of him at like FedEx or something in San Jose trying to uh, send that gigantic check back to his home. It's just, you know, like I, the dude just absolutely radiates humility, which is an odd combination of words because I think one just kind of uh, makes the other redundant. But ultimately, um, you know, the, the dude deserved it. And I'm glad it's him. But. Um, Wizard was a story for the entire tournament, ultimately, because Icelander was so strong. He had been, um, you know, taking the world by storm for a little while now. But the the wizard that kind of was the story, frankly, was Kano. And talk to us a little bit about Kano's, um, you know, impact on the tournament, where that kind of mindset came through for players like Hayden Dale, for players like, uh, you know, Mike Karankia and and all the others who were on this hero, and why Kano suddenly, with effectively no changes to it, was suddenly good again. <clears throat> so, Sasha Markovic and I, Sasha wasn't able to make the tournament, unfortunately got COVID um, right before, but we sort of locked on Kano, uh, well, obviously we both didn't play, but, you know, in testing, locked on Kano really early because if you look at the landscape of Pro Tour number one, um, it was actually worse for Kano. And Kano did very well at that tournament. It was worse because some of the best decks in the game had access to Spell Void, which is absolutely the way you beat Kano. It's not Nullrune, and it's not even Oasis or Spite. Both the, uh, all of those cards are middling, if not bad, against Kano. But Spell Void is just disgusting because one instance of Spell Void blocks five damage on Aether Wildfire. So these Spell Void two cards, they block ten damage. It's just so abusive to play against as the Kano player that it's not worth it to bring him to a tournament people are playing Spell Void. And people were in PT1, and Kano was still successful. PT2, it was not a good pick because everybody was on Briar, and they all remembered PT1. So a lot of them were packing those Shock Charmers, and you had a freaking ton of Prism and stuff like that. Prism was a very bad matchup for Kano. So you look at the world's meta as we transition to that. Prism, Prism rotates out. Briar drops in popularity. And we have this sort of... <sighs> very it's hard to pin down what the best deck is right there's like maybe three four decks and they could be in any order in one two three four in terms of representation in the meta and even the five six seven decks are have a good slice of that pie which leads people to sort of having to make a lot of decisions on their sideboards and that is directly correlated with people cutting out cards for kano right because kano is not a played deck and i think that if you knew that those those three players plus the fourth player, which was Mo Boggs, they were going to bring Kano to the tournament. You still 
statistically should not have packed anything to target Kano in your deck. But yeah, looking at that landscape, everything for Kano had just improved. Um, Oasis Respite is a thing, but nobody plays that card and you can beat... O the reason why we locked on Kano so early is we figured out that you could beat Oasis Respite um, simply by changing your game plan and using uh, Waning Moon. Like these defensive Guardian decks that wouldn't really... Tried to do nothing against you and hold Oasis Respite and Arsenal's Fever, they were effectively a buy. Nevertheless, once we got towards the World Championships, nobody was playing Oasis Respite. All the Guardian decks were aggro. And your worst matchup as Kano was actually five because the deck was so freaking fast. Um, but yeah, basically all the all the criteria to play Kano were was was checked and the landscape was was better. So it's it's effectively the same deck as in Proto number one. It's a combo deck, but it's less reliant on the combo. So the original deck played closer to 40 blues. This one plays around 31 to 32. So it's a bit more mid-range, um, kind of utilizes Deja Vu Pot a bit more. And it just, like, the reason why you had to cut down on Blues is because the Phi deck is so uh, so fast and we expected it to be so popular. You need to sometimes, you need to high roll them in order to win, right? You can't just, like, turtle around. They'll just go over the top and kill you. Yeah, that's the one thing that I notice is that it's sometimes, like, a lot of people's edge when, they, when it comes down to it. People are usually waiting for particular cards to essentially supercharge a particular hero or put it over the top or, or bring it back into relevancy like you're talking about Kano here it's not that anything changed it didn't change with Kano it wasn't a new card that was printed it wasn't a, a revision or a ban that brought it into relevancy frankly it was the fact that the correct you know climate put it into into relevancy again and um, you know, I think that this is what kind of separates the players who, you know, might spike a pro quest and then fizzle out everywhere else is that extra level of analysis, that extra level of preparation that goes beyond just what cards go in your deck. It's about what cards are going in everyone else's deck and identifying that something like Oasis Respite isn't on the menu anymore opens things up. And you already said that, that, you know, you mentioned like that card wasn't our, was already not necessarily a, a com complete, you know, uh, uh, you know, it, it wasn't going to completely pump the brakes on what Kano can do, but it just found a, a nice place. Do you think that Kano is always going to be relegated to a hero that exploits particular metas? Or do you think that if Kano is just, you know, good in a vacuum, then that might be bad for the game? Like, I, I know there's two separate loaded questions there, but, I, you know, how would you, how would you talk about that? So I don't know if this makes any sense, but I feel like Kano isn't exploiting the meta, but the meta is actually exploiting Kano. Like, I think Kano is probably one of the best decks in the game. It just can't deal with things like Spell Void and hyper-aggressive decks that run too fast. You can beat them, but you're not going to be beating them, like, 70% of the time, which is, that's where you want to be in Flesh and Blood. Like, these, these 55-45s, like... F that, you know, we're looking for the 70 30s across the board. And that's what Kano is. I think Kano is the fundamentally the most powerful deck in the game. It doesn't really make sense on this sort of quantitative analysis that Michael Hamilton and sort of the new age of flesh and blood has been championing, where you're just trying to hit the best expressed value on your cards, things like Wounded Bull. Like the Kano deck is ultimately a combo deck. It's a synergistic deck that runs off Aether Wildfire, Ragamuffin's Hat, and it kills its opponent from 32 very often. So you don't need every other card in your deck to do much damage when you effectively only have to do eight damage and then they're dead. So 
that's the thing. It's like it plays fundamentally underrate and then it combos the opponent. And it's not a pitch stack combo. I was talking to Tarek Patel after the tournament. He's like, yeah, I don't know about Kano. So the math is bad. He's like, I was like, what do you mean? I was like, you killed them for turn two. He's like, wait, you got to go to the pitch stack. I was like, no, you do it on like turn two, turn three, because the deck has tons of tutors, right? It has tutors. It has tomes. Like it draws so many cards that you're so likely to actually get to one of those combo pieces and be able to pull off the eighth of wildfire turn. It's a very reasonable game plan. So, yeah, I think it's more the meta that's abusing Kano because of cards like Spell Void. And if I could give anybody any advice, even though it... Well, I'm a caster now, so who cares? <laughs> yeah, you can. It's, Go for it. Yeah, if you want to hurt Kano, you just put Spell Void in your deck. Like, if you don't put Spell Void in your deck and you lose to Kano, then you 100% deserve to lose. And if you had access to Spell Void. But everybody does, by the way, because Spell Phrase is a thing. This whole Arcane Barrier thing, it's a bait. Because what Wizard does is it... It taxes you on the wizard's turn, and it takes cards out of your hand. Then we go to your turn, and you have a choice to either pass or try to attack and do something, do something proactive, which is more resources and more cards out of your hand. So ultimately, you just cannot utilize that null rune anyway, and the Kano player or the wizard player, because Iceland does as well, is going to create a quote-unquote window and then combo kill you anyway. Um, and of course, the the decks, if you run into something dirtily that's just trying to you know, heal, heal up or play Oasis or Spide or Steadfast. There is a pitch deck combo that those decks literally can't beat. You, you pitch Tome Double Blue, Tome Double Blue, and then you either pitch Double Wildfire Blazing or Double Blazing Wildfire, and you have this, the second Blazing or the second Wildfire if you did the, you know, the first one I talked about in your arsenal. It's unbeatable. You literally can't beat it because the Oasis stops the first, the first Wildfire. It comes over for one or two damage, and then it bumps the other Wildfire, and you still die from, like, 38 or something. It's, again, um, it's all uh, foreign language to me because I never touched that hero. I watched Majin talk about it and how, you know, horny he gets for that hero and, and just the class in general, and I'm like, dude, that's a you thing. And he keeps telling me he's going to put me through wizard school, and I never knock on that door because i don't have the brain bandwidth right now <laughs> to learn so that's what that's what you're here for that's when we're glad you're here because we you... gave him the list actually for the calling so we're, th we're sitting in the the lobby of the hilton and he was like yo i'm gonna play icelander he's like being all weird about it. he's like but i brought kano i was like why don't you play kano it's better and he's like what do you mean you got a list I was like, <laughs> okay we'll give you the list but just you know just Relax. And we gave him the list and he didn't play it. He, he, he went out. I shared a room with him and it was the constant. It was legitimately like if you think that that was where that that big, you know, uh, indecision came to, to fruition. No, no, no. It was it went on through the like wee hours of the morning where he's there with literally with both decks, just like goldfishing both. And I, I will. I love him to death. But the dude was just constantly obsessed with like, I should just I should just roll Kano. Right. I'm like. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't fucking know either of these heroes. So, like, th this is on you. Like, I, I know what the cards do. I just don't know how to play either of them adeptly. This is your jam. And it was just, I guess he went with what won him the Goliath Gauntlet, which was uh, Icelander. And ultimately, um, I love the guy to death. But, yeah, I mean, now that you're telling me that, uh, you know, there there are, that was an interesting thing you said. Like, frankly, that the, the meta exploits Kano versus the other way around um we'll see how that kind of develops and do you think that um kano in itself is you know with the skill ceiling being so high but the power level also so high is that kind of do you want more heroes like that that are super complex but if the right players master it are i don't want to say unbeatable but have these near guaranteed wins <clears throat> so 
One thing I want to clarify is that the skill ceiling on Kano is maybe it's high, right? But the actual problem with Kano is the skill floor is ridiculously high. Like you are going to eat shit on Kano for so long before you have an even halfway enjoyable game. And that's just how it is. Like there's this sort of rite of passage. Do I want more heroes and more decks in Flesh and Blood like that? Personally, if I could just, you know, no ramifications and uh, yeah, just selfishly, yes, it's it's my favorite thing about the game. Do I think it's good for the game? No, probably not, to be honest. Like the Kano deck is miserable to play against. Like it is terrible. And that's actually one of the reasons we were able to lock on it so early is because Sasha and I, and this was before Hayden, Dante, and Mike even came into the process, we were just jamming games of Kano on Talishar and we could run them into random people rather than me having to waste two to three hours of Sasha's time while he sits on the gauntlet deck and I just play solid there. So, yeah, it's. I think that Kano ultimately, it's a painful play experience for the opponent. It's, you know, it's quite hard to even have like a sort of introductory play with it. And yeah, it's it's very powerful. So good for the game, probably not. Good for me and good for people that enjoy that that kind of gameplay yeah i think so speaking of getting uh pain having painful play experiences uh your boy hayden got absolutely bodied by reinar on stream and this begs the question in terms of blitz's viability from a um from a competitive standpoint and again i got uh i got lit up a little bit on twitter because uh i I guess the way I phrased it made it seem like the the it was luck and not skill in terms of the Reinar the Reinar player. I don't want to double down on that in any way. The 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 Reinar player whose name I sincerely apologize for for escaping me right now, but um, the the Reinar player got there off of skill preparation and all that. I'm not taking any of that away from it, but it just is kind of funny when you see somebody like Hayden just have to smile put his cards to the side and and eat a 12-point sandwich before he even gets a chance to do anything. It Do you think that, um, you know, there there's still a certain amount of, you know, runway for a, a, a format like Blitz to have these kinds of things happen? Or was that a little bit of a stain on what might be an argument for Blitz being, you know, um, a, a format moving forward for callings and for pro tours etc so i had the i had the the pleasure of being able to watch this in person i was actually standing right next to the table um it was my favorite match of the tournament <laughs> so hayden did get juiced right but you bring reiner to do exactly that you don't want to be interacting with the meta you want to win games that way like if reiner is able to sort of pull the sequences of cards there's actually almost no decks that can beat it and that's a legitimate reason to pick that deck and that deck is actually pretty good into prism as well which showed up sort of in force um for hayden yeah, there was an illusion. Like, it looked like he didn't ha wasn't able to make many choices. But, I mean, I watched him misplay. And after the point, like, we, we talked about it. Like, there was a point on the final turn when he could have played the cold snap and denied the the uh, the final alpha rampage. But he just didn't do it. And there was almost no reason not to. Um, and that's fine. May would that have won the game? Maybe not. But that's just how it is. You, the thing is, in Flesh and Blood, we're sort of desensitized to these quote-unquote non-games. And it's not because they don't exist in Flesh and Blood. It's just because when you're having something that's close to a non-game where you're pretty much, you know, maybe 5 to 0% to win, you still have the illusion of playing a game. Even when you draw, like, trash, you're drawing blues, your opponent's setting up, like, a Frost-X combo on you, and there's actually nothing you can do. It, it, you're, you're still playing the game. Where if you look at a game like Magic, sometimes you're, you're actually not playing the game. You're just 
you don't have any lands and you're just passing the turn. So I think that Flesh and Blood, because of that, has the illusion, like a lot of what is closer to non-games, you have the illusion of playing and it, it like curbs people's sort of perception of those games. But like that Reinar game was just a very, a very visual representation of a game where Hayden on the other side of the table couldn't make too many decisions. But my argument would be that that's actually not extremely uncommon in regular games of Flesh and Blood. I just think people have sort of more of an illusion of having more agency than they actually do. And the games are decided a bit before some people realize that the game is actually over. So is Blitz a competitive format? I think that it, I was actually pretty happy with Blitz at the, at the World Championships. I, th I think it did well as a format. I think it held up. It was very diverse, even though I believe that Icelander was pretty, pretty much the best deck. And I, I think it's by far the best deck because it was, you know, 55-ish into like everything. Um, but it, you know, it wasn't like 80, 80 into everything, right? But it was just such a safe pick. Uh, we still saw so many other decks be represented, and I talked to so many people, so many players, so many teams that would come up to me like, yeah, Isolator's the best deck. I'm like, cool, what are you playing? I'm like, old him, <laughs> which is like the, literally Team Dragon Shoot. I'm like, why? <laughs> and it's just like, that's just how it is. And so commentating Blitz um, and talking to some players on the weekend, I think that it held up as a competitive format. Do I want to see it as the premier competitive form moving forward? No, probably not, like in callings and things like that, but... If they're set on doing a triple format for the next World Championships, I'd be fine with it. And I think that, you know, ultimately a lot of players would be okay with it. That game in particular may have looked bad, but I think overall Blitz was in a pretty healthy spot for the World Championships. You made an interesting point there when you said that there's a lot of games where there are no real decisions. It's like an illusion of choice to a degree. Would you consider it, like, if you can expand on that, like, would you consider something where an obvious choice is akin to no choice at all. For example, like somebody comes at you with, uh, you know, a crippling crush, uh, and you've got a, a red, you know, unmovable in the arsenal. It's like, okay, well, what choice do I have? Like, there's one choice to be made here. It's to, to block this one way. Would you kind of expand that to say something along the lines of, of, of an obvious choice is akin to no choice at all? Something like that. I think my, the example for me, the one that I would immediately sort of, pull out of a hat would be probably pro two number two in the briar mirrors i think that if you're on if you're playing a briar mirror and you're on the opposing side of not having channel mount heroics while your opponent has channel mount heroics you pretty much get to spectate the game while you lose and you may have the the illusion and of agency and being able to block and maybe wait for channel mount heroic but you're actually like kind of just dead um because the game is lasting three or four turns they're getting they're getting value off of their spellbound creepers while you're not and you, you just don't have a life total, uh, like a life total big enough and a buffer big enough to land your own Shin Amount Heroic and crack back. And like you saw a lot of these Briar Mirrors boil down to some players like no blocking, but it, they were very swingy off of cards like Shin Amount Heroic. Um, so I felt like those, those games, I would prefer to play against Reinar in a Blitz match every single day of the week than go back and play an entire Pro Tour's worth of matches of Briar Mirrors. Like... That was very uh, illusion of choice for me, which I don't think is a bad thing. I don't think that you shouldn't have games like that in Flesh and Blood. I, I think it's okay, but I don't think that people can <clears throat> look at the the Briar versus or sorry the the Brute versus Hayden matchup and be like, oh, Blitz sucks. That's that should never be able to happen. But then they're totally cool with playing all these Briar mirrors that swing off a who lands kind of a CMH first sometimes. Which I know that's not the end all be all, um, but yeah. I, 
that's sort of my opinion on that. It's an interesting point because if you're getting four cards intimidated and eating twelve, or you're do donating four cards uh, to to Briar's Channelman heroic turn, but eating and eating twelve to tw to twenty damage anyways, like what's the difference to a degree, right? It's just exactly, extra steps. Yeah. Um, you did make the transition over to casting, and may I say it was uh, it was. I don't want to say long overdue, but when somebody of your your talents on the the battlefield, as it were, decides to sort of take a, a backseat um, and join, you know, our our perspective and lend your talents to as a voice and as analysis, um, is the first question for me is is this is this permanent? Like, I, I get it that there are, you know, like I, I've been doing this for five six years. I've been casting, you know, as a you know profession for five or six years and i know that you don't get every job and you're not even considered for every job so there are going to be opportunities where there are are going to be tournaments that you can play in because you might not have an option to actually work it that said if you were given a choice to work every event would you would you essentially take you know 95 to 100 percent of those options are you are you officially retired as a competitive player so short answer is yes. Um, the longer answer is that sort of the the permanence of the switch to casting is less up to me and more up to the community and the people and whether I add value and people enjoy it, right? So if that's the case and I am able to potentially, you know, let's say cast every single event, I'd probably take 95% of them. For me, what I enjoy about flesh and blood at the end of the day <laughs> is the community, the experience, like traveling the world, hanging out with my friends and just living this amazing life. And casting is a much more sustainable and scalable way to do that. And that's just what it boils down to. At the end of the day as well, I would do it for free. I, I love Don't watching. Don't, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Don't say that because yeah. there's, there's probably a no, retailer yeah. in Canada who's yeah. like, hold yeah, on yeah. a second. Yeah, yeah. We, on can, a second. we can do better than under minimum wage. Yeah. All right. Yeah, don't so say that. figuratively speaking and yeah, – hypothetically i would do it for free i love doing it. i love watching flesh and blood and i love commentating it as well um it's just an awesome thing to do so yeah well i mean the reviews um and i know that you're you yourself are a very you know humble person as well but the reviews have been ex exceptional and i think that they are well merited as well and as somebody who casted with you in columbus at the battle hardened in columbus um you know, there was certainly room for improvement, but that's what we do. And that's what we're supposed to do is, you know, it's the same thing of like, oh, I bubbled out. I finished like 12th in a tournament. How can I improve? You get back to work and you get there. Your your work at in Columbus was great. Your work at the World Championships was exceptional. It was, you know, top tier, S tier, A++ kind of work. And um, if it's up to the community whether you should stay or not, I don't think that the, you're ever going to get peeled out of the booth. And uh, I think that that retirement is essentially set in stone here um, until, I don't know, I mean, what if somebody offered you a contract of like $100,000 to play? I mean, that's an easy, that's an easy slap down and take that, right? <laughs> Well, again, it would come back to sort of what gets me to gets me to these events as much as possible for as long as possible. So yeah, maybe if someone threw 100k at me to play, which they won't, by the way, I might do that instead. But yeah, I'm just trying to facilitate a lifestyle here and do things that I love. And if casting is something that you can get paid for and help you do that more, then absolutely I will do it. Um, and for the reviews and what people have said, I was very hesitant to take any positive feedback initially because 
I do feel like there might be a subset of people that because of Arsenal pass and because of sort of a entrenched audience might give me a nice review no matter what. They might say something nice no matter what because they're seeing me in person, right? And that's just a normal thing to do is you just kind of say that stuff to people. But I would say the feedback so far as of now has been very helpful um, and has given me a lot of encouragement to potentially do this in the future. Moving forward, even though I might be retiring from competitive and professional play, my goal for every tournament that I would cast would be to test and be prepared to play that as a professional player because I feel like that's where I can potentially add value. Well, the value you add was exquisite. Um, the the Some of the things that I heard, and again, I ride shotgun with you on these, and it's incredible for me because I'm learning as these are going. And, um, you know, I don't have necessarily the competitive acumen that you do uh or such but at the same time i play the game a lot i study the game a lot and i'm around a lot of excellent players that i i learn from and i you know i'm not if if i was that good i'd be there you know playing and being on camera and and working my way that way again the same way that you said it that a lot of people don't necessarily understand is sometimes it's literally about what is the only possible or plausible way for me to get from where I'm at to the event itself. Am I working it or am I attending? Am I getting sponsored to go? What's the move? And for me, I'm, I have the privilege of, of being at these events because I'm brought in to, to work the events and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think that that's something I'm best at, but I do miss playing. And I worry that on your end, are you, are you not like concerned at all about seeing somebody like Hayden or seeing one of your teammates or somebody that you practice with like Sasha or something out there, you know, competing for a win and in for a top eight at a major tournament. Doesn't that kind of get your mojo going and saying, damn, maybe I'm going to take a calling off, you know, maybe I'm going to go in there and, and I'm testing with these dudes. Anyways, I'm practicing with them. Like I can do this. I think it's the, the nature of the beast. It's what I signed up for. I signed up for this knowing, ex expecting exactly that. Um, like the people I test with are no slouches. They're probably going to go there and perform at the tournament. They're going to be in day two. They're going to be in day three. And I'm going to watch them succeed, fail, struggle. And yeah, I, I used to do those things as well. And I enjoyed it. Am I going to be jealous? Yeah, I am. Um, is it going to make me regret my decision? I don't think so, because I knew that before I got into this. I think that's a very healthy way to approach it, and you can't always have everything. And one thing that people don't necessarily realize is that while we're out there, we may have the best seats in the house. Uh, we may have access that people won't have. We may have information, and uh, you know, we pull the curtain back uh, to, to further understand what's going on. But at the same time, we're not playing. We're there amidst everybody showing off their polls, their cards, their their tournament results, but we're not we're not playing a single card. I think I played one game of Flesh and Blood all uh, all weekend, and it was kind of like it was a ultimate pit fight at one thirty in the morning at the Hilton with Olivia, uh, with Red Zone Rogue, with Ian, and with um, with Steven, with the Armada, and. Uh, and Hank and we were just there in the lobby playing and that was it that was the only and like I I was going to go to bed but I, I'm like I'm going to play because I need to play and I worry about that for players who have been you know tournament winners and uh, but again at the same time I'm just freaking ec ecstatic that I have somebody like you to cast with 
And now I feel like I'm kind of the pro in that regard, and you're the apprentice to a degree. And I'm curious in terms of initial challenges, because again, casting is 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 something that a lot of people think is easy to do. And I want you to perhaps maybe pull the pull the veil away from some of the challenges that you may not have initially expected, but also some that you did expect and maybe they're a little bit more challenging than you, you gave them credit for. Yeah, this is so <clears throat> all of your listeners can finally believe you about all your all your complaining. <laughs> There's no <Okay>. complaining. <laughs> it's not complaining. It's just that the amount of times I get I can do it, he does. No, you yeah. can't. You can't. I'm not look. I'm not saying that this is a, a exceptionally. I'm not out there, you know, performing a brain transplant on a rocket ship or something. Uh, uh, what I'm doing is, you know, trying to. But like some people will immediately pounce on you if you mispronounce a name or if you uh, miss one interaction out of the fourteen thousand that you've been, you've witnessed. Like if you if you suddenly you forget that. You know, if there's a you you mispronounce a card or in your mind, you're thinking Art of War, but you say Ancestral Empowerment because they're both plus one effects and (laughs) the target's wrong. You're going to bring up that one. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to get eviscerated. Anyways, those are some of the challenges. But again, it's not just about that one mistake and people uh, jumping on you saying, wow, what a clown. Like anybody can do this job. You can't because you're not talking about the, you know thousand other correct calls or plays or descriptions that you gave leading up to it. Yeah, I would say coming from <clears throat> coming from playing previously, coming from the professional side, I, I, I think if anybody gives you that feedback, they don't understand uh, and they don't appreciate how much of a professional you are. And that also includes, of course, Tannen, Eric, Brian. Like, it is a bit overwhelming when you sit next to them in the booth and just how articulate and concise and consistent they are. Because you don't get a script, right? You just kind of go and... These guys are able to sort of tell a story and do a live broadcast off the cuff, which is a pretty challenging thing to do. Like all the only the only uh, guidance you're getting is BJ in your ear telling you a little bit about what's what's coming, right? This slide or that slide, and then trying to get you to laugh. That that's pretty much it. Yeah. But <laughs> some things that I expect, well, didn't expect. Um, I would say that the event overall in the weekend is. On the casting side, it's very exhausting. Like it's like physically exhausting. It's just it's just tiring. Like you're you're really when you are commentating a game, you're really giving it your all. Um, like I'm sweating my ass off. Like it is it is like a physical activity. And at the end of the day, I'm very tired. Is that a bad thing? No. But I didn't expect it to be as uh, as involved as it was. And when you're not casting, you're you're doing other stuff for the you're either doing the card overlay, the stuff that pops up. You're running to get people coffee. All that kind of stuff. Um, so I didn't expect that, but it, it wasn't a bad thing. I did uh, what I expected. I mean, honestly, what I expected was I didn't feel a lot of stress going into the tournament. I didn't feel like um, – I just didn't feel all this pressure. I felt like I was prepared because I had you know, spent so much time with the formats. Um, and as a result, because I have the opportunity to sit next to you, Tan and Brian or Eric in the booth, like it just flows. And uh, maybe that's something that I'm just more comfortable with than sort of normal or something. But I think that working with people like yourself and Tan and uh, you make it kind of easy, right? I know we're talking about how hard it is, but 
truly when you sit next to someone who's a professional and they know what they're doing, they, they make the job easy, especially on the sort of um, the analyst side of things. Well, that's it. Like there's two roles in the caster booth, essentially. I mean, depends on who you're casting with and whatnot. There's like the lead slash anchor slash play-by-play role. And then there's the expert slash analysis uh, uh, role, which what you did immaculately. And for myself, my job is to, and I, this was a question that we, or, or sort of a comment or a question we got from other people saying like, what, what, to what level, who is your audience when you're broadcasting? And frankly, it's everybody. So you have to have somebody like me who's saying, okay, here comes a blaze headlong. It's for go again. It has go again because the previous card was red pitch. That is the most macroscopic kind of description. And yeah, you could flower it up and, and talk a little bit about consequences. And I can say it's coming in for four, you know, blah, blah, blah. No more equipment at the, at the disposal. But it's for you as the, in, the, uh, the analysis did I say analysis before? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. See, these are, see, hard to do. Uh, yeah. Ancestral empowerment. No, yeah. <laughs> but it's for the analyst to essentially dig in and find, peel back the layers and the real true consequences to these plays and the thoughts uh, behind them. And was there ever a, a situation for yourself where, you know, I give you, I, I basically tee it up for you. I put the, the I lob you a f- big fat beach ball of a, of a pitch and you, you're there to hit, hit it out of the park and you do every time. But was there ever a situation when you're doing this where maybe a situation came up or a question was asked to you by myself or by someone else where you were like, I have no effing idea and we're just going to make it up? Oh, I'm surprised that you were able to say that sentence without laughing because there is. You said that you you teed up and you you know you teed up the pitch for me. Just one time you threw me a giant <laughs> pile of dog shit because he he's like, why don't you do the they do this, these head to head cards right? Um, and it's usually not me who does it. It's uh, it's someone like Flake and we go to the head to head and it is two names that are about 15 to 18 consonants in a row and I'm just like. <laughs> Obviously, Polish names, and Flake is quite good at pronouncing Polish names, and I had to pass it right back to him. <laughs> okay, so that is, uh, I didn't, that wasn't necessarily what I was gunning to, but it, it was just funny because that whole situation, and for those who don't know, basically, when it comes from break, it comes to us, we basically re- reintroduce what's going on, where you're at, it's a reset. It's okay, welcome to the World Championships in San Jose. It's round whatever. We've got another spicy matchup for you. Um, you know, they're they're queuing it up. And then our producer, this guy named BJ, he's named BJ because he goes by the nickname Biscuit Jesus, and I don't know why. It's a whole other story. Great, one of the most in- interesting people ever. But then there's like a 10-second stinger of, you know, like all the cool graphics, and then it goes to the head-to-head. And he's in your in your mind or in your ear saying, okay, like three, two, one, and you're good. And in that time, again, like this wasn't on purpose. I just am used to being the lead in every single time. So I was like, screw it. Like, Brendan, you want to do one? And I didn't know who the players were because we did not absolutely, we knew who the heroes were. They're like, oh, it's going to be a five versus a, uh, a Dromai or whatever. I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. All right, cool. Are you, Brendan, you want to lead us in? And you're like, yeah, I guess. And then boom, two, ultra turbo polish names come up and you're like okay well you know what flake you take this one i thought that was brilliant i thought it was hilarious yeah it was it was pretty funny it was one of my favorite moments in the entire event um 
yeah, I just I think that ultimately capping off the weekend, like moving forward, for me, the biggest challenge is sort of finding finding my voice. And I've known this since I've started podcasting. I just have a bitch of a voice. Like the range is ridiculous. Like uh, Hayden and I, we had we work with this um, Hoodwill on Discord, on the AP Discord. And he actually helps us with like our audio because I, no matter, we for years, we could not figure out my freaking audio. It just always peaks. And I always start yelling when I'm not supposed to be yelling. Like, <laughs> I'm just not good at it, right? <laughs> and um, yeah, that that's that's the biggest takeaway for me. And the, the, the biggest thing I think I have to work on is to try to find my voice and find a balance to where, because um, in in Columbus specifically, Turns out, I went and listened back. I think that the right microphone was actually a bit quieter than the left. It might have been proximity or for some reason. But I was a bit quiet in Ohio, and that is devastating. You like you can be too like too loud, too quiet, take too loud every single time because they can turn you down on the production. So I was slightly too loud on the world's casting, and then one time the microphone was too close. That's why it was popping, but we fixed that. Um, but yeah, I just have to find a little happy medium and figure out the voice a little more. But... Yeah, overall, overall happy with the the whole experience. Um, casting with me, and I don't want to circle this back. And I'm not here fishing for compliments or anything, frankly. But I I got to, for my first time ever, I got to cast with Doa Eric Longquist, who is an absolute titan and veteran in the industry. And I managed to catch him off guard and get him a little, you know, rosy cheeked when I mentioned that mirror guy has a fat ass <laughs> like i was like well they're out of poppers and uh taking down this dragon is going to be difficult because mirror guy's got a fat ass and that got him to sort of you know take pause i just want to ask you what your experience is like when again i i don't like scripts either and i like just being myself <laughs> so what is your 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 if you were to tell somebody who's about to get in the booth with me for the first time what what is it like I mean, they can go back and look at it live. There was one time you and I were casting something with Jermai, and you called the Jermai player an ashless chap. Yes. Well, they were, they were out of ash, and I yeah, said this, they were an ashless chap, yes. I mean, I'm very comfortable. I'm very comfortable with the curveballs. Like, they, like, it is hilarious. I think that one time, it, it's a bit infectious, because I was casting, um, I don't know if it was Viet Pham's game, it might have been, and I said that I said that the olden player will definitely pummel here unless he has mentally exited the building, and it was just such a bizarre way <laughs> of phrasing it. <laughs> and I remember you were just giggling. <laughs> it was, yeah, no, that was it. And like that's that's basically it. I think there was also there was one where I said like the only like it was a it was a done deal. I think it was like uh, there was like a prism that was just absolutely bodying a, an oldum or something like that. And I said I'm like the only way for for oldham to win here is if elon musk buys lss and cancels the event or something like that and like but, but that's part of it and like what i try to instill in the people that i i cast with and i'm so glad that you're a comfortable confident articulate person is that you know just be yourself and like put your personality through because i find that there's a lot of people who have a character or a persona or a shtick and i saw this a lot when i used to stream where I would host somebody or raid somebody and there's that sort of 10 second delay before they realize they're getting raided. And as soon as they get raided, they just turn into somebody else. And like, that's so disingenuous. It's not who they are. But like the one thing that I've noted about you is that, you know, you just immediately dug into 
letting loose and being yourself. And I really appreciated that. And that was why I just was so happy to, to cast with you. And, I, and, and again, I know that this is, this is not supposed to be like a loving kind of uh, discussion here, but I want to echo what everyone is saying is that your analysis was spot on. It was concise and well, well articulated to people who are either experts, intermediates, or even beginners. Everybody can take something out of what you were saying. And you, your timing was amazing and, and everything was great, man. So I, I want to just congratulate you on this podcast to say that you did yeah. fucking amazing. <clears throat> it means a lot. It, it definitely means a lot coming from you. Um, <laughs> well, but <laughs> Sorry, at, at the Guildhouse, I think, I think I, at least I was like three or four drinks in on the last night and I told you that. And what you said, what you said to me made me laugh so hard because you're like, because I was looking for the word and you look at me, you're like, what, you want to, you want to, you want to say you're proud of me? And I'm like, well, no, I'm not looking for that kind of word. But he's like, what, you want me to tell me, you want me to tell you you're my hero? Did (laughs) I actually do that? You did. And it just, I just couldn't stop laughing because again, I wanted to have a nice moment and congratulate you on an excellent weekend. The the way you threw it back at me was just so good. And I, I appreciated that. It, dude, this is just story of my life. I just have, yeah. It's so funny when I hear about things that I say or do, and I'm like, wow, I don't remember that at all. But <laughs> that does sound like something I would say. Yes. Um, what's funny about I think if what's funny about the uh, you talked about personality coming through on the on the cast is like if anybody has listened to Arsenal Pass, there is definitely a Brendanism that is whenever we start talking about Kano, I just get a little bit too excited. <laughs> definitely if you go back and watch those 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 uh those matches i was getting pretty excited for the wizard stuff like i'm a, i can't hold it back like there's definitely a bias oh for sure and uh you gotta let it show but again to a degree kind of rein it in uh just to you know maintain face to a degree i get scolded sometimes or i was told by uh my producer mark who said you you use the term the word horny way too much on podcasts and and broadcasts i was like yeah i gotta tone that down i don't know why i just started riding that horse but i i think it's dead now so did i use it i think i already used it definitely uh use on this podcast i think think you also used it at worlds probably i'm on a one horny per per tournament kind of like ration now yeah, you've definitely got to titrate down. You don't want to go cold turkey on the horny. No, no, no. You got exactly. We're we're on the horny patch now. Okay, uh, we're gonna blow by dynasty because who cares? Um, I think it's been spoken to death, frankly. Unless you've got something to say. I mean, it's a cool set. It's an interesting time for it to come out, right? Because obviously, world championship is over. Like, I hope they come out with the sort of OP announcement for 2023 really soon because that would probably get people pretty hyped up. Um, but yeah, the set the set's dope. Like it's more akin to Crucible to Crucible of War than Everfest, and Assassin's a really cool class. <laughs> I gotta say something, by the way, Flake. Uh, we we can talk about Dynasty all we want, but there was a ban announcement recently, and uh, Mr. Brian Gottlieb looks like he backed up his choice a bit. We got Stormstarters back in Blitz, baby. Oh, uh, you really did go to town on him at the broadcast. That uh, there, there was multiple times where he was there putting the cards up on the screen, and you were just absolutely calling him out. Um, whether he, I think he has some agency in that. Um, I, I, I well, cause we were, when we recorded ISP 57 last week, he was on it. And when we were done and the recording button was off, he's like, hold on. I, he's like, I just got an email because we're, you know, we're just finalizing the, 
the bands and whatever and stuff like that and i just need to put in my comments or whatever i'm like so you do make these decisions you bastard i didn't ask him what it was or anything like that nor did he ever tell me nor would he but yeah i, I like i think that there's definitely a certain element of your influence in bringing storm striders back <laughs> they did like kill like 14 other cards though so i don't know if it was me i think it was more that they banned storm striders and icelander was still just like unequivocally the best deck <laughs> which is you know it, it's an interesting thing to happen because the storm striders ban really was to rain in icelander but ended up just neutering kano and making icelander still the best deck but not you know disgustingly the best deck um i did have you know quite a, i had a slightly intoxicated we'll say conversation with the developers newson chris and all, all of them uh at the gill house quite a few times and um, chris Gehring was hilarious i remember we were talking about this storm shot i don't know if we were talking about storm shot just wizard in general and he we were like i asked him a question and it was about wizards so i got excited so before I even let him answer, I started I started answering on mine. He was like, hold on, hold on, before you go rant on some shit. And I was just like, yes, yes. He's like, he, he listens to the podcast, he knows. Oh, okay, so yeah, he didn't even need to, he, he probably can give you your arguments to you, basically. <laughs> just um, get excited, man. I love, I love Wizard. I don't blame you. I don't, I don't blame you. Like, people just... I'm I don't I don't have an identity anymore. That's the trouble. Like it used to be it used to be Katsu and then he kind of sucked because Phi came out uh and other reasons. And then it was Prism. I really loved Prism and now that's gone and I'm hoping that at least maybe like this like Tiger Katsu is something to look at. I haven't even touched a new card yet, so we'll see what that's about, but uh I want to end off our, this discussion by again digging into your fitness challenge which uh, the first time the fitness challenge came out i was on board i was very happy to be a part of it it did really good things for a lot of people sometimes it just takes somebody to lead the charge and motivate others i know a lot of people within the instant speed community also dug into it uh i lost a few pounds but more than that i was happy it, it was good for my mental health mm -hmm. and exactly. your new fitness challenge which I believe, I don't know the details of in terms of timelines, but w this is what got me the, the most out of your most recent episode of Arsenal Pass is when you're talking about the new fitness challenge, you're going to run a marathon. And what really stuck out for me was when you said, well, what's the hardest thing I could possibly do that I don't like doing that I'm not, maybe not, I'm not geared to do, it's run a marathon. So that's what I'm going to do. What motivates you or gets into your brain to say, I'm just going to figure out like the most painful, disgustingly hard thing that m me personally can endeavor to do, and I'm going to do it. Yeah, so there's a few things to unpack. So to put in perspective, I, I probably have ran less than a marathon on a treadmill my entire life before I started preparing for this thing. So very bad runner. <laughs> um, but the thing, so we look back to the first, the first fitness challenge. Um, there's some people who had just made some amazing transformations, had a lot of success. And I think the idea that um, we and I could have contributed to even 1% of the catalyst of that decision makes everything worth it, right? Um, and a marathon is sort of known and seen by a lot of people as like that really hard thing you can do. Like people run marathons, we know that, and they're also a bitch to run. There's a lot of miles in there. I hate running. 
I was like, yeah, let's just take off the backs. It's like the scariest, the scariest fitness challenge out there for me. It's like the last thing I want to do. So that's what I'm going to go after. You talk about mental health. I think for me, it's almost all of the, the fitness stuff I do in my life is because of mental health. Like I think that it's, especially cardio too, I think it's an absolute cheat code for happiness. I think I fell into the trap of like in my early 20s, like when I started to deal with some mental health issues, like society, I think, tells you to sort of take the struggle away when I think you, like the, potentially the better approach is actually just to increase it, right? And when you physically increase the struggle and you just exhaust yourself every day and use your body, which is kind of what it's designed to do, like, I don't know. I just feel way happier. Like, I feel much better. I have way less stress. I sleep better. Like, I, my life just improves, but I still hate running. Like when I'm running, I hate it. It sucks. Every single second is unenjoyable, but every moment outside of that, I fundamentally believe is improved. And it's just, it's like investment. Like I'm just investing in sort of the future happiness of that day, that week, that month, and the rest of my life. And that's why I like, I don't know. I like to get after it. And if other people, if they haven't tried it and you struggle with things, if you struggle with mental health, I would heavily encourage you to try doing that because I think that we're presented with a lot of other solutions and the solutions can be effective at times, but the e- one of the easiest things and one of the most basic things you can do is to just start exercising, just to start moving your body and exhausting yourself and the effect on your mental health and just general well-being is so incredible. I'm not saying it'll work for everybody, but it's a great place to start. There's no barrier to entry. You just got to get up and start doing it. Really, that's just it's just the beginning. It's all that matters. I think that mental health in in this space is um even though it's being spoken about a lot more in the past few years, uh I think that it still needs to be echoed that it's so important. And I think that it's something that finally people are giving a lot more uh courage to talk about. But also that people are recognizing that it's it's actually something that is is important to to rein in to keep keep tabs on and to make sure it's healthy. I have been struggling with depression for uh, eight years or so ever since I moved to Toronto. That has nothing to do with Toronto, by the way. It's nothing to do with with the city, uh, th- though the city sucks in comparison to certain other cities I've been to. I, I love it, but you know uh, your hockey team sucks. But that said. Um, your your challenge and uh, getting involved, the communal aspect of it, the the we're all pulling in the same direction thing. For me, it wasn't about getting ripped. It wasn't about losing weight. It was about recentering myself and having. You know, I came off of a very dangerous month um, in January last year, where I was like suicidal. Like I was very close, and and it was scary. And the fact that there were people there to help out. And your initiative, your fitness challenge, was a part of that, and I, I do appreciate that. Even though it did, it did come later on. Um, ultimately, uh, you do good things, Brendan, and a lot of people appreciate you. And I think that, that you know, mental health in, in card games or in gaming space is a conversation that can span so long. So we're not going to harp too much on it. But I want to also thank you again for just leading the charge on that. And I wish you luck in your marathon that I would never in my life do because <laughs> that noise. Because you're right, <laughs> every second of running is pure and utter agony. Yeah, I went through a really tough time when I, in my early 20s, like 22 to like 24. Um, 
And I really struggled with mental health. I had very bad depression. I had very bad panic disorder. I had panic attacks maybe six or seven times a day for like a year. I would vomit. I would pass out. I was on like all of the, all of the drugs, all of that stuff. And it, it was tough. And after, you know, after that, I was almost 300 pounds. Like I had someone come up to me one time. They're like, wow, I was really surprised. I feel like you're a person that like, you look like a person who's got your stuff together. I was like, well now, because <laughs> I worked at it for years and years and years. And I just found out what works for me. And I don't, I won't, I wouldn't say that it would work for everybody, but I feel like you're doing a disservice to yourself. If you don't give it a try, right? I it, agree. Yeah. There's not, there's, there's nothing to lose. And I turned around a really, really dark time in my life. Um, cause I, I went, I went through it bad in my early twenties and I feel more stable, happy now than I ever have in my entire life. And flesh and blood is there's a lot of a lot of that is flesh and blood too, right? The community, the sense of purpose through the podcast, all of that. But I think that you know being active has way more to offer than um, than just getting ripped, right? I agree, and thank God because there's no way I'm getting ripped in this 37 year old mid 30s body. By the way, we'll call back to that one. But. Pretty good looking body at that, but um, yeah, I would say for the details. If anybody's wondering, it's a marathon in Austin, Texas on February 19th. There's also a half marathon and a 5K available. The The pitch is really, like, you don't have to be a runner. You can walk the 5K if you need to. And for, for some people, that's going to be a massive achievement. The idea is that, contrary to the last fitness challenge, we have this sort of uh, culminating event where we all meet up in person and we get to sort of cap this off together. And I think that's going to be a very cathartic experience um, and can potentially provide a lot of value. And fundamentally, it motivates me. I get excited for it. So I really hope that you know people, even if people don't feel comfortable with running, they don't like it. Secret is I don't like it too. You can try it out. Join us. Meet us in Austin. And we'll have a good time. So Austin, Texas, uh, what are the dates for that? It's February 19th, the weekend of February 19th, and then the races are on the 19th specifically. Um, but yeah, 5K and half marathon available, as well as, of course, the full marathon. I um, Full marathon is a lot of miles. Like, I'll tell you right now, that's a, I could set the goal of doing the half marathon. It's a goal I genuinely believe I could achieve with this much, this much training. That being said, I think that if you spend your whole life setting goals that you know you can achieve, that's sort of... It's not the way to go. You got to have stuff where there's a fear of failure and a marathon is definitely that. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of work and I'll, I'll be putting in the hours and I'm very confident I can get it done, even though statistically it doesn't look very good for me. I believe in you, man. I believe in you better you than me, frankly. That's just the, but again, <laughs> we're not going to see you there. I want to see that, that February 19th. That, I will say this when you said 5k, 5k seems like definitely a, a more achievable goal the problem is and i'm not trying to make excuses like after my my illness two years ago where like i don't have full full function of my legs like i used to so just any jogging is already a challenge but at the same time i feel like this is something that i might actually look into because 5k feels digestible because there's k in it and k is kilometers and that's the <laughs> metric system and i can handle that yeah, dude, a 5K, like, for anybody listening, it's like, oh, I'm not doing the marathon, I'm not doing the half marathon. 5K is 
a heck of a run. And honestly, most people in the world can't do that. So if you can even work yourself up to a 5K, even walking the 5K, like that can be, that's, that's, that's an achievement and that's a goal. And the distance and what you run, it doesn't matter, right? It's about the journey there. Um, and hopefully that journey sort of awakens something else, else inside of you, whether it's on the mental health side or it's the physical health side. Where's the community aspect? Doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, hopefully my goal really is, is like I would like us to be able to, we haven't started looking at for what it's worth, but I would like to potentially pull some sponsors and then be able to use some of that money to fly out and to help accommodate some other people in the community, whether it's other content creators or through like some sort of pseudo raffle system, maybe like more application-based raffle system where, you know, people that are, very interested putting in the work over the you know two and a half to three months that want to go we can potentially supplement their travel costs and their accommodation costs to you know uh, help them get out there i will be um attuned to what's going on in the uh and i will keep eyes on flights too to austin if anything it's escaping the frigid cold of canada (laughs) in the month of february yeah, the thing about February is uh, it could also be pretty cold in Austin. Dude, and don't one- even – is it minus 40 cold? Because <laughs> – No. Nah, okay. It could be it, – it, it could be cold, though. It could be cold. And one thing you should uh, – it's not a factor, but Austin is uh, – it's hilly, to say the least. Oh, God. Oh, so it's God, not just a 5K. Yeah. It's a 5K uphill. I don't know if it's all uphill, but it, you should be prepared to not be running on you know, flat ground for 5K. Wonderful. Well, as long as the ground isn't on fire, at least, or icy. Either way, we'll keep the elements out of this. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. excited. But, uh, uh, Brendan, thank you so much again for being on the show. I do, we do have some questions from the community. If you'll, st- will you stick around for those? Yeah, I can, I can stick around. All right, you're kind soul. All right, we'll be right back, friends. And uh, it's also worth saying before we go to break here is if you do have issues or struggles mentally, please. Uh, reach out to to whoever you trust, and uh, whether it's me or Brendan or somebody, there's always going to be somebody who wants to be there to uh, to lend an ear. So, uh, here's some messages from BCW Supplies. We'll be back with Go Again with Brendan Patrick. Instant Speed is proudly supported by BCW Supplies. If you need protection for your cards, be it sleeves, deck boxes, storage, organizational tools, or hey, are you a comic book collector, a coin collector? BCW Supplies has your hookup. Use the code ISP10. Get 10% off all of your orders. Go to bcwsupplies.com. BCW, protect, store, display. All right, it's time to go wide with Brendan Patrick. We're going to go again on a series of questions. Um, These are from the community. Lovely as you all are, so thank you so much. And the first one, Brendan Patrick, is from Gabe Share. Gabe asks, what's Brendan's vision of the ideal pro-level flesh-and-blood circuit of the future? Hmm. So it's definitely one that gets announced early, so we're able to prepare, get flights, and make accommodations. Um, I know that that is kind of not Gabe's question, but it is probably the most important variable to the flesh and blood competitive scene being taken seriously by the players. It's like we need time, right? We need time to prepare. And more importantly, we need to be able to get flights relatively cheap and get accommodation. Outside of that, I think that two pro tours and a world championship is pretty pretty awesome. Like, I think it's a good system already. They are hearkening back to, I think, Magic the Gathering's old system. Um, Our current regional circuit is pretty cool. I'd like to see another calling U.S. circuit. Uh, and other calling circuits across the world. If they're able to do a tournament in New Zealand, Australia, like hopefully within that month, do a couple tournaments in New Zealand, Australia, so we can justify getting down there. Um, 
And yeah, I think the ProQuest Road to National System is good. Like it's it's really I, the ProQuest system specifically is uh, is very good. And uh, the only I don't think it's an issue, but um, XP as a way to get into worlds is interesting. But I think that it's fundamentally fundamentally necessary, right? Because there is some ancillary ancillary effects where it does. Um, benefit the LGS and it rewards the players who play the game the most. I think the caveat is that there, <laughs> people don't come at me for this, but there's still a lot of online tournaments going on right now. And yeah, like the system is kind of gameable to be honest. XP farms. Yeah, there's, there, I mean, there, there's stuff that's kind of, eh, it's, let's just, let's just say not everybody's going to their LGS on Tuesday to qualify via XP. I hear you. Uh, I like it. I, I agree. I think that the two PTs in the worlds are good. Uh, to me, the question is more so about the timing of set releases in relation to mm. these. I think that's the bigger, the bigger, uh, uh, question. That's a whole other discussion though. Um, this one from, uh, David rude, uh, when he's not shaking his fist, at the clouds, he has some insight that he wants to share this time. He's asking, uh, what's your guys' thoughts on hand cams? Is it a cool idea or information overlo overload? Also, what are your thoughts on a Reed Duke-esque calling, and who would you choose if that uh, if that did happen? Now, for those who don't know what a Reed Duke calling is, I learned this recently because it was brought up again. A Reed Duke calling would be you're basically, ha you have one player that you're following the entire tournament. All their games are always on camera, and there's a lot of insight from that player. Their player is mic'd up. You're getting their insights between matches as well. It's a very um, um, personal and intimate um, kind of uh, way to approach a tournament. You're focusing on one player and one player only. So that's what a redo tournament is. I So <laughs> I think I've tweeted about my praise for the Calling Richmond, um, a.k.a read duke uh the calling or sorry not the calling grand GPA. prix read duke yeah grand prix read duke um tweet about my praise for it many times because i think it's fundamentally the best the best production that's ever been done for magic the gathering um i actually learned legacy magic through that tournament um i don't know if people know this but i didn't play magic before flesh and blood and i basically learned it retroactively through watching coverage and just sort of i don't know finding this weird nostalgic interest for it even though I didn't play it, it's just like I love this idea of like these these older card games where Flesh and Blood has effectively come from. Uh, but yeah, I, I learned the entire format through that tournament because you follow Root around, you get this, you get the consistency of watching that single deck, and you start to empathize and understand that deck, understand the macro strategy, and you understand sort of the micro plays as well, and you see it sort of faced up against other decks. Uh, you really get attached to the individual player. Reduke was perfect for that because his his table manners and professionalism i think are unmatched i think it's uh you know for me as a player in flesh and blood i aspire to be as sort of professional as him when i'm at the table right to be as respectful to my opponents and to be as clear and concise in sort of how i represent my game state and i learned that from that from that tournament specifically hand cams are they too much for me they're not too much but i'm, I'm not the target audience to ask if it's too much right for me more information the better uh in terms of like you know when i'm viewing something um but yeah i would love to see it and i would love to see michael hamilton and i know i talk i say so much about michael hamilton but i think that the way he plays right now is so like his play is so tight like his micro play is impeccable but what really sets him as part is, and you saw this in the world championships, is he's able to adjust his 
macro game plans on the fly and either whether it's pitch stacking his own deck, counter pitch stacking his opponent, locking his opponent out of an arsenal the entire game and playing this new game plan. Like it's so dynamic and it's just very, very good flesh and blood to be watching. So I would love to watch him. And I know that his, the way he plays uh, sort of in person and at the table, um, it's, it's very professional. Like he, we, we all know Michael's a humble guy at this point, but I think he'd be a great, a great player to watch. Well, the, the problem is in that case, and again, no slight against Michael, is that you want a, a person that also would lend their other talents to a good broadcast, which be, um, you know, somebody who can, you know, articulate what they're feeling well between matches, you know, talk through things and also lend that element of their personality and such to making the, the broadcast good. I think that I didn't I didn't watch the Reed Duke broadcast, but I know who Reed Duke is. Um, and I've watched some of his the dude, you know, writes articles is is very forthcoming with his personality and such. And and, and I think that probably lent a lot of the success of that broadcast is because of who was selected and not just because the player was great. Again, the gamble with a Reduke GP style calling is that what if that player just absolutely bombs? Yeah, so then you just got to go back up. You got to go to back up normal feature matches, which I think that they were prepared for in that tournament, to be honest. Like, Reduke actually didn't make top eight. He uh, bubbled out. So the top eight was not with Reduke. Um, and the first two to three rounds were also not Reduke because he had two buys because he's a pro player. Um, and that's the system they had in Magic. So... I think it's just a gamble you make um, and you're pretty safe to make it with someone like a Michael Hamilton or a Pablo Pintor or uh, God, there's so many players you can name, but um, yeah, I hope that we do it. To be honest, it's probably not, not great for the idea is you have very light commentary of the top, like extremely light. They, there's a lot of, other production stuff that goes into it, like uh, when Reek would be side, when Reed would be sideboarding for a deck, they would play an interview that he had where it was like he would talk about his exact sideboarding plan into this matchup. Thought it was incredibly valuable, but the idea is like maybe like one commentator, not really two. Super light commentary, and you just hear the players mic'd up and talking. And for me, it was the best way to sort of learn and consume Magic for a format that I knew nothing about at the time. It's very unique. Uh, I would pay heavy dollars to have uh, Nick Butcher mic'd up at any point, frankly. Uh, who will that appeal to? Well, not the children, uh, but ultimately uh, that would be great as well. But uh, Drew's other comment was thoughts on hand cams. Is it a cool idea or information overload? Now, I come from the digital space of casting where you see all the cards at all times. So I genuinely don't believe that there's any uh, information overload because we're already we are always trying to dig for that information and kind of, you know, oh, I saw a piece of what might be an art of war in their hands. So I don't think it's information overload at all. You're right. We do do that already. I, I many times during the world championship broad broadcast, did I relay all four cards that were in one of the players or both of the players hands because they flashed them. Yeah. So uh, we would love them, frankly. I think that that's a great thing. It's definitely uh, that if there's anything that Flesh and Blood, I think, is is falls behind the digital space is because there's that information that's so uh, readily available in, in the digital space um, would be nice. But uh, it is what it is. Uh, next question from Darth Prentice asking, how much will the addition of Arachne shake up CC? Is that the new deck to be most afraid of or do you? Just have to block the way you block Dawnblade. That's that's a good question, and I wish I could give you a, 
a great answer, but fundamentally, I just don't know. The deck, like, if you look, what makes the deck really interesting to me is that it has a lot of blue block threes, and it has a lot of zero for fours and one for fives, which doesn't get a lot of other people, uh, in Flake's words, horny, but that gets me really horny. <laughs> like, because uh, it... it, it it sort of harkens back to a value control deck. And if you look at the current state of more defensive decks in Flesh and Blood, it actually mathematically doesn't really make a lot of sense to defend most of the time, especially like defense reactions are fundamentally underrated compared to cards like Wounded Bolt that have the highest uh, sort of attack express value of any card. Um, Do blue block threes sort of make up for that? No, they're they're still underrated, but, you know, your resource cards are pretty good at blocking um and that, that gets me more excited and of course this idea of being able to fate seal your opponent which is sort of a magic term but look at the top card of their deck and, and manipulate it is very very cool and manipulating your opponent's graveyard and banish zone as well will it have a huge impact i don't know uh I, it's so hard to say whether it's just too cute right now or it's the most powerful thing you can be doing I think one of the most powerful moments or the most memorable moments that has yet to happen is when somebody regicides uh, to win on camera. I think that's going to be one of the most impactful broadcast moments in Flesh and Blood's history. I think that's that <coughs> will never happen. I genuinely don't think that anyone will ever do it. But I, goddamn, I hope I'm wrong. I really like, would. Did you, did you, I have to bring this up because it's just, I, oh, actually, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to get your reaction. Did you see the the promo they sent out to UK players? <laughs> um, <laughs> there's no way. Yeah. Like, that is, that is like. <laughs> well, okay. So LSS, the beautiful, okay, like, again, we've had the privilege of hanging out and speaking to James multiple times and just knowing his personality. <laughs> James is absolutely somebody who doesn't give a fuck. Like, it's incredible. And, and, I say this because I have spoken to him. I've written press releases for LSS where I send, like, he'll he'll write something and I'll be like, we're going to clean this up just a little bit, like, you know, just to sort of make it a little bit, you know, not to say that he's, you know, actively saying bad things, but I fail to believe that this is not at all calculated. Like, I think that this has to be the most, the biggest troll ever. Yeah, so we should probably tell people what it is. So basically, they sent UK players a promo in order to make up for the UK Nationals being delayed. Um, the promo was Regicide, the card that Flake was speaking about. But the reason that the UK Nationals tournament was delayed was because the king died. Queen. The queen died. Queen. Yes, queen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which so is kind of hilarious because the way that they also worded the tweet, I think, or something along those lines was... Uh, was hey sorry the queen died uh here's the promo and it's wretched <laughs> <it's laughs> right. really like, it's there's there's definitely the i feel it's kind of scary to be laughing at like yeah. right. so we're not laughing at the situation it's because it's the most ridiculous thing and i can't, i just i i don't know if it's on purpose it, <laughs> well know. look Again, I would n- I, I'm not out here to celebrate anyone's demise or such. Uh, I, I do believe that the monarchy is, is a stupid and antiquated thing. But um, LSS, I think, just you know, came in with the, the little out of left field, like, oh, by the way, <laughs> just pretty good. I thought it was uh, very funny. And, and it, a lot of people caught on and were like, yeah, all right, well played, well played. Um, yeah. Next one from Havasota, a.k.a. Michael 
on uh, Discord asking, how did Brendan prepare for doing commentary? That's a question I get a lot, but it's unique for everybody. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, so I tested with a professional team, the professional team consisting of Sasha Markovic, Hayden Dale, Michael uh, C. Um, Taronkia. Yeah. I remember this Italian because, last name. <laughs> yeah, the first time I ever uh, cast one of his matches, I think it was at, in New Jersey, I got a message from him saying, hey, thank you so much for not butchering my last name. And I said, as a fellow Italian, if I pronounced it wrong, my dad would have beaten me. So, yeah. so Mike Kronkia, Dante Del Fico, and Gabe Schur. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was I left that process about a week and a half or so before the tournament. Um, but prior to me to me leaving the team, I was 100% invested in trying to find the best deck and break the format. Um, and like I said, Sasha and I locked on the Kano deck super early, and we pretty much convinced the other guys to hop on it as well. I mean, Dante Del Fico and Mike are sort of a package together. They were previously on the Wolfpack team and both played Icelander, so quote-unquote wizard players. And Mike is sort of known for playing Kano in Canada as well. So yeah, we they know we we got a little bit of spice with the Kano deck, so they come over. Um, we introduce them to Kano. Icelanders was a serious pick for us in Classic Constructed as well, and yeah, Mike and Gabe made the switch, but Dante Del Fico he does not have the mental game to play Kano. He just tilts off the. He just couldn't do it. Like, yeah, to be fair, like uh, I I don't think that was enough time to learn Kano and potentially be prepared to bring it to the World Championship. But it was just so funny to watch Dante Del Fico attempt to learn Kano and keep his sanity. Because, like I said, you, you got to eat. You got to eat shit for quite a while in Kano before you have some good games. Uh, well, uh, I, I'm I don't have the appetite for shit eating right now. But <laughs> you should say uh, this one from Rich, aka the Polish guy, asking. I'd like to know your backstory. I know that you've mentioned this before because you've you've spoken about it before. But just a little synopsis of of um, you know how it all came to be for flesh and blood. And, and it's interesting because you also said that you, you started magic after flesh and blood mm -hmm. and went straight to legacy and such. And, um, the other question was how, you know, uh, the jump from playing to commentating, how hard is it? Do you still miss it? Well, we, we discussed that earlier, rich. Uh, so just give us a little, maybe, you know, roundup in terms of, you know, what got you into flesh and blood specifically. Yeah, so location, 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 I guess. Because, uh, so one of the first stores to sort of have flesh and blood in the United States was Reaper Game Store in Denton, Texas. And I wasn't playing Magic at the time, but, um, well, I kind of wasn't. So my, my partner had bought me some dual decks and, yeah, real competitive player. And I was actually going to Reaper Game Store to pick up uh, another pair of dual decks to diversify my dual deck collection and play some more decks. And lo and behold, there was a new game being sold. And I impulse bought it, didn't know anything about it, brought it home, opened up some boxes, played some sealed, and loved it. And heard about the $10,000 tournament in Austin. Had a lot of success on the regional scene. Uh, no, I was having, having a little bit too much success in our armory scene leading up to that event. Uh, ultimately got there, met Sasha Markovit, met James, and lost my first game pretty much ever to Sasha on the day. So that was uh, didn't bode well for the tournament that was coming on the next day. We played the what used to be the Battle Harden. It was actually the day before, and you would basically you would play, and you would get to play against like James and stuff. And if you won, you got the the lore book. Um, battle hearts are quite a bit different now, but yeah, my first match was against Sasha and I lost and I was like, wow, I 
definitely reinforced some terrible habits in my local scene. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what kicked it off. I just had a local game store and I'm just kind of an impulsive person. And even nowadays, like I have bought so many dead antiquated card games, like that nobody plays anymore just to play them on tabletop and sort of like learn their game systems and dive into it. Um, it's just kind of who I am. Yeah. But may the, you know, the dead can never die. And that's me in star Wars, essentially. Uh, yeah. Good games. Just continue to live on. Uh, last question is from Jordan Kennedy of flesh and pod asking, uh, how do you manage your schedule? I mean, between work, testing the podcast, living a life, I find myself pressed for time and end up cutting testing time. How does, uh, how do you even manage your flesh and blood life with the rest of it? Yeah, it's just uh, like a bit of priorities. I think um, I just cut out everything that's not those things, right? So I think, you know, time management is is you know some people have it a lot harder than others in terms of like their commitments and the things they have to be doing i don't have any dependents like i don't have any kids i have a dog and that's about the extent of it um and yeah i just don't do anything outside of those things you talked about like do the fitness i do my job i play flesh and blood and then i go to sleep i don't watch tv i don't hang out with people that much to be honest i'm kind of like i live a bit of like a sort of uh, in <laughs> individual or loner ish lifestyle here in texas so i just do those things and that's really it and i don't do much outside of that other than my sort of other guilty pleasures which is you know maybe diving into uh, a marvel snap game or two yeah uh, or two dude <laughs> <laughs> every time i look at you in every break or every downtime during the broadcast you're there busting it out just be like we snapping I'm like, yeah, you, we could snap. And I do go to you for deck lists, and uh, they are helpful, so I do appreciate that. Yeah, uh, it's it's probably a conversation for another time, but although that game is not perfect, I do think that it has introduced a very interesting idea to the card gaming space, which is cutting out all of the unnecessary turns, right? Making every turn impactful. And I think that that might be something that impacts the future of TCGs, because there is an argument to be said that maybe you don't need to be sitting there for 60 minutes. Maybe you can condense those, uh, those turn cycles down and this sort of land go esque turn is actually not necessary, right? Flesh and blood, very back and forth, but I do think that some of the turns are more of an illusion of back and forth where, you know, you're, you're not doing too much. Um, and you're really playing towards these other, these bigger turns in the game. But I do think that flesh and flesh and blood has definitely taken that original system and improved upon it massively, right? There is effectively, you don't really pass your turn too often unless you're going to die. <laughs> I, you're not wrong. All right, Brendan Patrick of Arsenal Pass, uh, I do appreciate you being on the show. I also appreciate you for uh, hooking me up with this. And oh, wow, you can also tell everybody, this is my new favorite thing. Uh, I have about three of these. I have um, one that I bought and I have the one that you gifted me, which is this Arsenal Pass one. And I have another one that was also gifted to me. This is essentially my new resource counter. So where can people get this? Where is this you know, essentially from? And also uh, let us know about where to get more more Brendan Patrick altogether. Oh, what a question. Because the <laughs> the thing is, is I'm going to mess this up because it's either Metal Fab Tokens or Fab Metal Tokens. But we're just going to say it's one of those. Look them both up. And that's where you can get it. It's definitely not going to say on there. So you looking at it. Looking I know. I'm looking branding. at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Metal, I think, I believe it's Metal Fab Tokens. Um, people are going to hate me for that. Sorry. Uh, 
but yeah, I am one half to, or I'm debatably the worst half to a flesh and blood podcast called Arsenal Pass, which does tend to focus more on the competitive side of the game. We're available on YouTube, Spotify, and all that jazz. We do some YouTube videos. We do some deck techs. So check us out. For me, you can find me. My main location is probably on Twitter um, at BrendanAPG. Dude, I love you so much. Thank you so much for being on the show, buddy. And I'm so glad that uh, you put up with my garbage in the, in the booth because you make the broadcast so much better. Yeah, well, I booked you in for that 5K in Austin, so I will see you there. Yeah, okay, cool story. Yeah, I'll <laughs> run my way over there too. Sure, no problem. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Instant Speed, to our sponsors at Kayfabe Cards and BCW Supplies, and obviously to our wonderful patrons who keep the lights on. Thank you so much. Don't forget, you're not losing if you're learning, so keep playing the game. You might win. We'll catch you next time on Instant Speed. Whoa.